Welcome back to Juice from 5160. I'm your host, Nick Barcelletta, and after a wild and crazy few weeks of baseball, let's dive in around the league at some of the big stories and surprises so far. First was the amazing and unexpected performance of Shohei Otani. ESPN picked a hell of a game to start the season with, and with the spotlight on the Halos, let me tell you, Otani did not disappoint. Granted, when he came over to the States to pitch, he came in with a questionable elbow, and a lot of teams were not willing to risk the money on what would eventually be Tommy John surgery. So far, it's looking good for the Halos. But on top of his pitching, he only jacked the first pitch he saw over the right field fence with a significant amount of authority. I don't know what it is, but the ball just sounds different off his bat. It's an amazing, indescribable, solid sound. I can't wait to hear it in person. Now, he did leave the game after being slid into covering home, but it doesn't sound like it's too bad of an injury. Although Tony missed his next start, allegedly because of a blister, there is going to come a point where the Angels are going to have to make a decision if Otani is more beneficial as a pitcher or a hitter. He's had Tommy John already, but the risks of him injuring himself are significantly greater pitching than hitting, I think, and even though it's pretty awesome to see something in the AL that is different, I'd rather see him have a full career than be treated like a sideshow and have a shorter career. Now, on to a name I hope we will be hearing a lot, Yermin Mercedes. Starting your career going 8 for 8 is quite the ignition. However, to go 9 for 14 and have an OPS of 1.643 as well as win AL Player of the Week, I'd say it's all downhill from here, kid. He's really been the reason the White Sox are at 500 right now. The only other big news coming out of the South Side is that of the outstanding pitching performance of Carlos Rodon throwing a no-hitter. One batter shy of a perfect game, he lost control of a breaking ball and hit Roberto Perez on his back foot, resulting in losing the perfect game with two outs to go. It was quite the spectacle to watch, but this was just as impressive as the first ever no-hitter for the only remaining team without a no-hitter, the San Diego Padres. Joe Musgrove accomplished the feat for the Padres, and what makes it a little more special? He grew up just outside of San Diego, so a native son throwing the first no-no made it just a bit more special for an organization that existed 52 years before their first one, and having been no-hit 10 times in their franchise history. Nearly the same results apply to Musgrove as they did for Rodon, except it was earlier in the game. Musgrove ended up hitting Joey Gallo in the fourth with a pitch. Moving on to other significant events, Michael Conforto. Now, I've umpired baseball games, granted not at the MLB level, but I've also played catcher basically my entire amateur baseball career. If I was Chad Wallach, the catcher for the Marlins, I would have pitched a huge fit. For those of you that don't know what happened, it's the bottom of the ninth at City Field in Queens. Mets and Marlins are tied at two apiece, and the Metropolitans have the bases loaded. On a 1-2 pitch, Anthony Bass throws what appears to be a breaking ball, and as Conforto is in the left-handed batter's box, he sticks his elbow out. Now, I've played enough baseball in my life to know that sometimes that happens. Batter is in the box, and a close inside pitch comes, and you're going to move your body just enough to be hit by the pitch as well as turn, so it looks like you're avoiding it as well as absorbing the pitch. But you aren't moving over the plate. That's just baseball. But this was not only a significant movement to be hit by the pitch, he moved his elbow with an elbow protector over the plate. Mattingly comes out and argues what little bit he could, and the umpires did review the call, but for whatever reason, the call stood, run scores, and the Mets win. Honestly, if I was Michael Conforto, I would be prepared to wear one on Saturday because if you want to fake it, well, the fish are going to make it. However, the Marlins took the high road and played the game without hitting him. The play was reviewed, but I still don't know why the game wasn't protested. I haven't received my 2021 rule book yet, so when I get it, I will definitely look up the answer as to why. While I'm speaking of the other New York team... Let's talk about Jacob deGrom. Jacob deGrom can basically throw a perfect game and the Mets would still find a way to lose the game. 
DeGrom is 2-1 in four starts and has a microscopic ERA of .31 and is getting hardly any run support in his first few games. His first game was a no decision. He had two runs scored in his favor, but the Mets couldn't hold a lead and lost after allowing five runs. His second game, DeGrom lost after throwing eight innings and giving up one run. His first victory came after giving up two runs and was pulled for a pinch hitter in the sixth inning. This game was the first of a doubleheader, and the Mets managed to pull out a win in the top of the seventh, while DeGrom was still the pitcher of record. DeGrom finally got a real victory of 6-0 after he threw a complete game. Right now, I'm thinking DeGrom is going to be your NL Cy Young winner. Speaking of pitchers, I can't let this one go. Everyone who is out there saying the MLB is taking balls out of play that were thrown by Trevor Bauer is proof he is either using his substance or doctoring baseballs needs to just stop. Stop. Now, I will give you that Trevor Bauer is a really good pitcher. He's a student of the game and is very cerebral when it comes to his pitching, his spin rate, and how he does his work. However, Trevor Bauer also likes to mess with people, be the center of attention, and just ruffle feathers. Trevor Bauer is smart enough to know he is a brand. He has his own media company, credentialed by the MLB, and has his own website with merch on it, again, because he's using his platform to make himself a brand, and uses what he does on the field that gets people talking to sell merch. He sold shirts about throwing a baseball over the center field wall after giving up four runs in an inning and completely baffling his manager, Terry Francona. Hell, he even managed to utilize his name for personalized merch, Bauer Outage. He does that Conor McGregor strut after innings. He mocks the opposition, but he takes it in stride. Gets mocked twice by Fernando Tatis Jr. and didn't throw at him. Basically said he didn't mind it, and if you hit a homer, you should celebrate it. He's an interesting personality, but he's going to go hard, and he is clearly one of those players that when he's on your team, you love him. But when he's pitching against you, he just rubs you the wrong way. Either way, he is going to entertain you. Now there's winning streaks, and then there's the A's winning streaks. The A's are at it again. After not getting their first one until their seventh game, the A's do what the A's do and have gone on a 13-game winning streak. Before the Indians became the most recent team to win over 20 games in a row, the 2002 A's won exactly 20 straight. How the A's continue to be the island of misfit toys and remain relevant is beyond me, but there's something about A's baseball that I always kind of root for them. Maybe it's how they do so much with so little. Maybe it's how they talked about moving to Denver. Maybe it's just some weird pity I have for them because the Coliseum is a dump and I keep hoping they get treated like a real team instead of being a team that's stuck in a glorified prison yard. The A's have a weird place in my heart. Now, because it's the home team, let me give you some good news about this team. They're 7-7 seven and seven on the season if you take out the games against the Dodgers. Now, we all knew they weren't going to be good against the Dodgers, but in all the games they've lost, not against the Dodgers. They haven't been completely blown out. As of this podcast, they have a run differential of actually plus six, which means they have scored six more runs than the opposition. Finally, of all the baseball I've been able to watch so far, I'm not going to lie, the Dodgers-Padres series so far has lived up to its billing. I knew they would be the top two teams in the NL West, but watching them play each other has been impressive. The 11-6 score in the first matchup doesn't reflect the fact that the game went into extras and was close until the Dodgers blew the game open in the 12th. These teams are on their second matchup of six, and these are two NL Titans going head-to-head. Trust me when I say this series is a series to watch. It is an old-school rivalry, and it can probably be up there with Yankees-Red Sox-Cubs cards right now because both these teams are good, both these teams are young, and both of these teams are deep. I know it was short and sweet, but thank you for tuning in again. 
If you have any questions you want answered, if you have any suggestions, or you just want to send some arguments again my way, again, you can reach me at my email, arch2617media at icloud.com. Again, arch2617media at icloud.com. You can hit me up on Facebook, Views from 5160, or just stay tuned for your next one. Thank you again for listening. I'll be putting another one together here soon. So thank you again, and stay tuned to more Views from 5160. I am Nick Archuleta, signing off.